Hello and welcome to the Rugby Show here on the 42.e in sunny Dublin. Gavin Casey here. Oh, our friend Murray Kittle Hello, is down in show. Sydney and it is bucketing rain. Although the forecast is meant to be decent for the weekend ahead of Ireland's decisive test with the Wallabies. Looking for a first series win down there in 39 years. Murray, how's the form? How are you? I'm good. I'm not enjoying the weather. I have to say it's been a bit of a nasty surprise. But um, yeah, pretty exciting week nonetheless. And couple of interesting team selections as well to, to really spice it up so can't wait for Saturday it's going to be a, a brilliant game yeah obviously if you're watching from home and you have any questions or uh, maybe advice to Joe Schmidt or anything you'd like to ask Murray as well do get in touch we'll read out a few comments and uh, have the usual kind of crack with that but Murray as you mentioned there some interesting team selections so we might kick off with that uh, five personnel changes for Ireland four positional swaps um, I suppose on the face of it when we looked at it uh, this morning it looked like he'd taken a couple of risks maybe he made a few bold calls and he probably still has, but a lot of it now we've found out has been kind of dictated by injury. Um, maybe run us through some of the changes to begin with and uh, give us your assessment. Yeah, well, I guess the injuries, first of all, it was the first question in the press conference with Joe, like who's injured, just trying to balance the idea of him taking a few risks with guys actually not being available. So Dan Levy, Ian Henderson, Gary Ringrose and Andrew Conway were all ruled out. Three of those guys injured in, in last weekend's tests, and Henderson also missed the sec. Uh, the you know he's he's carrying that knee injury uh, that made him miss the second test altogether. So uh, a blow to lose those guys, and in particular Gary Ringrose, who I thought added a lot to their attack with his creativity. His passing game was really strong. He set up three line breaks for Ireland. Um, his footwork is good again. Missed a couple of tackles, but generally I thought he added a lot. So those are blows, and it did simplify things for Joe Schmidt. Um, the changes are, there's a, as you say, a couple of positional ones, but uh, guys coming into the team in Jack McGrath, we've Sean Cronin coming in. Jack Conan gets a start at number eight. Really interesting to see how he goes in a, a, a kind of strange-looking Irish back row. But Conan is a guy who probably hasn't quite grasped his last few chances with Ireland. Um, you know, he came on a couple of times in the Six Nations and it didn't go really uh, particularly well for him. He's been good for Leinster and we know how dynamic a ball carrier is. He's got an offloading game. He brings something a little bit different. And he's the kind of athlete who could really thrive. But I think he's almost at the point now where he needs to have a huge game. Because if you look at the guys still to come back in the back row, guys like Sean O'Brien, Ruddock, uh, Josh van der Fleer, guys who are injured at the moment and look towards the World Cup, it's a very competitive area. And now you're at the stage where nearly every chance is is pretty much a last one. So mm. big day for him and also for Sean Cronin, who, as we know, dropped out of the matchday squad for the second test. Ireland weren't happy with his scrummaging in the first. Um, so a big chance for him to, to kind of bounce back. Uh, Jacob Stockdale obviously comes in on, on the wing as well. And, and that means a slight shift uh, with Keith Earls going back over to the right. Uh, Bundyaki in at 12 with Gary Ringrose missing but there's a pretty familiar centre combination there between himself and Henshaw um, so yeah generally as you say you kind of looked at the team and went wow that's a, a little bit of a, a mix up from Schmidt but really a lot was dictated by injuries yeah, 100%. And uh, like obviously, it's a couple of combinations back together. On the one hand, you've got the Grand Slam winning back three. On the other hand, you've got a midfield that maybe might have been slightly maligned after the first test for lacking creativity somewhat, probably compared to Ringrose, who came in. Um, how big a blow do you think it is? Is it to lose Ringrose, not only in attack, I suppose, but just how defensively aware he is uh, positionally and whatnot? Yeah, like a good example late in the game against the Wallabies, he made a really good read and shot up on Curly Beal in the in the Wallabies 22 just to shut down a chance on the outside edge. He's really good in that department and there were a couple of bad um, 
errors from Robbie Henshaw, I guess, in that department in the first test, which was uncharacteristic. He hadn't played for a while. Uh, there was definite signs of rust there. And I would expect his decision-making um, and his uh, execution of those decisions to be a lot better in this test. You mentioned there the lack of kind of creativity. In fairness to Bundyaki, he did put CJ Sander away for that line break, um, you know, that nearly ended up in a try. But there were a couple of other times where he just didn't trust himself to throw that pass. You know, he had the vision to pick out the option, but maybe just didn't release it. There was one on a set-piece play where they came back down the five-meter channel um, and Bernard Foley kind of got in the passing lane probably could have gone over the top of him but he just didn't trust himself to, to pass that time also when he got turned over just before the disallowed Israel Folau try in the first test and um, he just didn't trust himself to, to pass that ball into space or probably didn't even see it that time so there's definite improvements you can make there and one or two passes are the difference between a, a pretty blunt performance and one that looks quite creative so um, yes ring rows will definitely be missed I think we know and understand now how important he is for this for this Ireland team and he's getting better all the time as that second playmaker but look there's real quality in that midfield regardless 100% um, you mentioned one of the sort of more positional swaps I suppose Peter Romani going across to seven and well as you alluded to it is sort of an odd looking back row uh, on Saturday for Ireland uh, I was just wondering like it might, maybe for the more casual observer, what are the sort of changes Omani will need to make in his game, or at least the changes he'll experience, um, like swapping sides in the back row uh, from six to seven? Yeah, well, essentially, like Ireland talk about these roles. So he'll have a completely new menu of roles, particularly off set piece and stuff, off the lineouts. Uh, he'll still obviously be a, a, t- a target for, for them to throw to, but he'll be running different lines away from the set piece. From the scrum, for example, he's obviously on a different side of the scrum now. He's on the open side of the scrum, so he's got to be that one of those first guys to the first ruck that Ireland have in their little map of phase of phases off off the scrum. So he's a very good ruck player. You know, he's always high in the stats whenever we've done that, and um, he's always got a good aggressive hit on him. As well as that, he has the jackling ability that you would associate with a traditional seven, a uh, guy like Dan Levy. He, we, she showed it last weekend, the three turnover penalties. I thought a couple of them were a bit questionable, but he's always in the mix, Rad. He's always looking for that turnover, and he's got great fight in him um, every time he gets on the ball. I actually enjoyed the way he kind of nonchalantly threw the ball away after a couple of his turnovers last weekend. But, but he, showed a, he showed a bit of a skill set that you would associate with a seven. I think that's what Joe Schmidt is really looking for from him go attack the ball be really aggressive at the breakdown um in, in attack and, and also add in those little bits of passing and and link play that he's added probably in the last two tests i thought he was brilliant in, in both games really in the first test he was quite a creative player one little grubber kick and a couple of nice passes as well so he is that link player um, and his skill set really suggests he could do a, a pretty decent job there i would also say though they, they do miss dan levy when he's not on the pitch He's just so physically powerful and that everything he does is magnified. You know, another player does it and they're not quite as powerful. Even a pick and jam, he'll make an extra two meters on it because he's so strong. When he hits someone, they stay hit. You know, he's he's got just big moments of physicality in him and that's been missing a, a small bit at times. So it'll be good for him, for Aaron, when he comes back down the line. But that back row, I think generally the skill set uh, will, will provide a bit of balance and as we know, the Rook is a collective effort. All 15 of them are going to have to smash David Pocock and Hooper every single time. Yeah, 100%. CJ Stander made the point all right, uh, yesterday, actually, about, you know, it wasn't just about Tyke Furlong and O'Malley and people like that. It was some of the backs getting involved and getting uh, Hooper and Pocock off the ball. 
Uh, obviously, you mentioned as well, Sean Cronin kind of getting a start. We'd spoken last week about how probably we, we hoped that that would be the case. Like, you know, if it wasn't this Saturday, he was probably going to be always maybe resigned to uh, being that impact. So he gets his chance now. Um, is the fact that, you know, we've probably we've had the three different hookers now involved uh, in Rory Best's absence down there probably a sign that Joe Schmidt pro- isn't 100% certain as to who the best backup is. I mean, everybody has gotten a shot. Who do you fancy to maybe emerge, uh, say, if Cronin goes well this weekend, as that sort of second option? And, um, you know, do you see Cronin as a potential starter down the line, or is this just a case of almost repaying the loyalty, given he has been there chipping away for so long? Yeah, I, I felt for a while now that Noah Scannell is the guy who can really copper fasten that role in behind Bess and eventually take over from him as the long-term first choice. I think Rob Herring has done really well in his two appearances. Um, he's been one of the big winners on this tour. Um, Cronin's just been a really interesting case. You know, a guy we expected to come in onto the starting team on this tour um, and he's had to wait for his chance in the third test. And while that's been happening, like Joe Schmidt has been talking quite publicly about the deficiency in his game at, at set-piece. And even today, I asked Schmidt, what are you expecting from him? The first line was, I'm expecting him to, to make an impact in the, in the set piece and be really solid in that department. So it's a clear challenge laid down to a player in quite a public uh, manner. Um, and I, I would expect a, a really vicious response from Cronin. I, I would, can only imagine he's highly motivated and, and realises, well, I'm, you know, I'm getting pushed to, to really show Schmidt what I can do with a lot of competition at Hooker now. So I, I, think, he, I think he will respond in the, in the right way. He's an excellent player. Um, I think he's been good in Leinster's scrum and, and his set piece stuff has been good there. So um, I'd, I'd expect a, a strong response from him. But yeah, for me, Noah Scanlon is a guy who long term looks like the next hooker. Very good. Uh, there's a uh, question here from a William Knight. He says, while Marmion is the more experienced player and knows the setup, do you think having a more expansive player on the bench, such as Cooney, uh, would offer more late in the game? What do you make of that? Yeah, well. It's, I was just chatting to this about someone earlier, um, chatting to this about this earlier on. It's a very interesting position for Ireland because, you know, Carberry's now got a game at ten. Ross Byrne is set for his debut, so there's an extra little bit of depth there um, in the out half stocks. But Murray started all three tests, um, and you know, John Cooney got two minutes off the bench in the second test. Marmion got three in the first test, so it's not like they're racking up big experience, albeit they are getting um, a taste of the match days and, and these big occasions. Um, but I think if you you know you're still in this situation where if you're going to go into a World Cup and Conor Murray's to get injured, then Ireland are aren't looking pretty um, I guess weak in that area. I don't think the, the three players who are in the contention, Marmion, Cooney, and McGrath, are bad players by any means. They're, they've all been good for their provinces, but they haven't really had the exposure to prove themselves in big starts at this level. Uh, certainly not Cooney and, and McGraw, obviously not at all. Um, so it is a bit of a concern for me. In terms of the question about how it changes the game, I think Marmion is well capable of lifting the tempo. Um, I think for him it's always about that consistency of pass. That's something we all take for granted with Conor Murray. His pass is so consistent on top of all the physical and kicking and tactical strengths as well that when he goes off the pitch and it's another uh, scrum half there, you know, it's just a, a small few inches on the inside shoulder of a guy who's trying to run onto the ball uh, or to Johnny Sexton who demands the, the cleanest ball as well. So that's the main thing, really. Um, yeah, it is a little bit disappointing that Cooney doesn't get another chance or a longer chance, certainly, to, to impress. But, you know, he's definitely in the mix as well. And I think it'll just be really interesting to see where that pecking order goes now over the next year uh, before the World Cup. 
And like staying on the bench for a second, obviously we hope uh, Ross Byrne does come on and make his debut and he's fully merits his position there. But given, and it's something Schmidt has mentioned as well, there are so few games remaining before the World Cup, so few tests. And we've, you know, we've seen Carberry get his sort of 65 minutes. He did a decent job. But I suppose when you consider that five Six Nations games, you're not necessarily going to tamper too much. And it's unlikely that Carberry will start barring an injury to Sexton. Like, is it almost a... I, I wonder, I suppose, when we when the Ireland team returns from Australia, like has Carberry got enough game time given the opportunity, the window of opportunity that was there? I know, like obviously in November, you've got four games with Italy as well, and he'd probably start against the States and the likes. But this was one of probably one of the last opportunities to test him against really decent opposition. Do you think the monster move and and the fact that he will be probably starting ten in the sort of cauldron of of the Champions Cup? has played into the decision there that to only give him the sort of hour-ish uh, from the starting slot? Yeah, well, like, I think getting one star from him is, is a pretty good return on this tour. Like, the, right. the easy thing to do would just be start Johnny Sex for all three games. Like, we see how much of a difference it makes when he's on the pitch. Just last weekend, you know, the first attacking set they got, he just takes immediate control. His body shape is constantly asking questions of a couple of defenders in the line. Even the try when, when Wallabies go down to 14 men, he gets Conor Murray and he gets Conway in. He calls a play, having done his analysis and understood that the Wallabies aren't going to have a defender over in that uh, left corner anymore. So he makes a huge difference. But I do think Carberry starting a test and leading the team for that full week will make a big difference for him, even going down to Munster. Just his mindset, his confidence, going down there to be that guy every single week, you know, guiding the team and being the tactical leader. As you mentioned in November, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't start two of those tests I think in the Six Nations next year, I, I would imagine he'll start the Italy game as well, just to make sure he's keeping uh, that experience, um, you know, rising on that upward curve. So, yeah, I think they're doing a good job there, um, and I think there's a lot more to come from Joey Carberry. Definitely, he's got massive potential, um, and I think this experience would have been good for him. No doubt about it. We'll see how he goes over the next twelve or so months. There's a comment here from. Uh <laughs> free dom on youtube uh he or she uh, says we need at least 60 percent possession to win the game uh the aussies scored three tries and they barely had the ball uh which is slightly worrying i uh, referring there obviously to the second test um yeah i did we need a little bit more of the ball I, like we obviously kind of i would have thought we dominated possession last week anyway uh, what yeah, you I think the question is how you, what you're doing with your possession. Um, like Ireland last weekend had eight line breaks to the Wallabies one, um, but they didn't have the return on those line breaks, and that's been a theme. We did a bit of analysis during the week there. Uh, some of the opportunities Ireland have created, the tight furlong line break is a prime example. Like that has to be turned into a try. It's great seeing your tight end prop going a big rumble, throwing the ball up and it getting batted down. But you've got to be really clinical in those circumstances. And I know Joe Schmidt, he's mentioned it a few times that he's frustrated with how his team have finished in behind the line. The Wallabies, on the other hand, are, are very clinical. One of their tries, in fairness, was a, a, a rolling mall as well, so it wasn't particularly attacking brilliance, albeit a, a very good forwards try. Um, but that is a big challenge for Ireland. They uh, they always tend to dominate possession, but I felt in the second test last weekend, they looked a lot more creative, a lot more willing to take a little bit of a risk. There were a couple of nice offloads, passages where Ringrose goes to Oman, he offloads to Henshaw. Um, we mentioned Ringrose's uh, passing ability, obviously Johnny Sexton as well. And Ireland only kicked the ball uh, 10 times, you know. So it, w- was a, it was a ball-in-hand performance that certainly uh, offers encouragement, but it is about finishing off those chances. You get in behind, you got to be ruthless. And it's about 
picking your chance as well. One of the examples we analysed was Henshaw carrying hard, um, very close to the try line, and Pocock turns him over. You go back a phase before that, and there's a bit of a chance on the outside edge if Ireland are willing to pull one of those link passes in behind, which they're really good at doing further out the pitch. So it's about striking at the right time in those situations um, and having really good, calm decision-making, even in a position where a tight head prop is in behind the try line going, uh, behind the defensive line going, I've never been here before, what do I do? So, um, yeah, that's that's a big, big challenge for Ireland. And if they can start converting those, you know, you're looking at a, a strong victory against a really good Wallabies team. Obviously, no team in the world is going to take every chance they create, but if you're going to challenge the All Blacks, well, then you got to be unbelievably good at turning um, those chances into tries. Yeah, 100%. Um, actually, before we let you go uh, back to the piddling Sydney rain, we might as well talk about the Wallabies. Again, not much by way of change in their um, match day squad, but a couple of uh, introductions and potential introductions there. Yeah, Luke Antui comes into the back row. Uh, Caleb Timu drops out. I thought he was very poor last weekend. A lot of errors, a couple of penalties. Um, he really struggled, and they, they hauled him off at half time. He looked out of his depth, to be honest. So I think Tui will improve them. He was excellent against the All Blacks last year when the Wallabies won. Brings a lot of physical presence. And he's a very dynamic carrier. Um, so I think that will actually improve them. Team who hasn't really got up to the pace, um, despite being really good in Super Rugby. And then Nick Phipps obviously comes in at scrum half to replace the injury Will Genia. That's a real blow for the Wallabies. Will Genia is a very important leader, both tactically and in terms of his calm influence on the team. Uh, Phipps is a very good defender, covers really well in behind the defensive line, and his service does tend to be quite quick. He can be a little bit inconsistent with his passing and kicking skill, though. I think that'll be a bit of a dip compared to where Genia is. So I think that does weaken the Wallabies. And, and a couple of changes on the bench, Ned Hannigan, uh, a good kind of line-out back row forward, um, and Joe Powell is as well in to cover scrum half. So uh, mostly a, a pretty solid team. And I think for the Wallabies, it's just getting up to that physical pitch they were at in the first test. Like I think a good example of it was Curtly Beale, who was smashing guys in the first game, uh, as well as being a brilliant playmaker. And in the second test, he just slipped off a few tackles. I don't know what was up. He, lo- he looked slightly disinterested almost when he got into good positions to make a dominant hit. There was one on ring rows where he just slipped off them. Um, and he made a couple of bad reads in the outside edge. So if they can get back to that pitch um, and bring those big, massive hits again, it'll put them in a, in a really good place. And as we've mentioned, their attack, it, it can be really lethal. So by no means is it going to be all Ireland's this final test. No, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a titanic tussle once again. Uh, make a call on it, so Murray, before we let you go. What do you reckon? Are we going to get it done for the first time in 39 years? Or uh, will we be edged out as we were the first day? Yeah, I, I think Ireland are going to get over the line. Um, I think there's enough strength. And, and as you say, you mentioned earlier on the combinations being quite proven. Back three centres, half-backs, experienced front row, really good second row combination. And while there is a bit of uncertainty over that back row, all three players bring um, a lot of skill and a lot of uh, physicality, uh, as well as a bit of intelligence and handling skill. So I think there's more than enough there. My only slight concern would be someone like Johnny Sexton getting injured in the first couple of minutes. And then you've got a, a rookie out half. Um, no slide on Ross Byrne. Obviously, he's not experienced at this level. He hasn't even been capped yet. So um, that is a slight concern. But Schmidt has wanted to get more than just wins out of this series. Um, if he gets a win on top of the things he's trialled, it'll have been a, a, an unbelievably successful uh, uh, tour for Ireland. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Well, Murray, we'll let you get back to it and we will chat to you after the uh, decisive test on Saturday. Enjoy yourself in the meantime.
Cheers, catch you soon. Nice one. And to you guys at home as well, that's all we've got time for. But we will be back after that third test on Saturday morning in Sydney. Uh, well, I'll be back here. Murray will be back from Sydney. <laughs> but until then, mind yourselves and enjoy the rest of the week. Cheers, Murray. Cheers.